Hello and welcome to another episode of the Global Data Pod. I'm your host, Nora Santivani, Global Economist at JP Morgan. Uh, so there's been a lot of focus on the downshift in global growth that's underway. Uh, as we discussed on last week's podcast, we're looking for uh, Western Europe and now also Central Eastern Europe uh, to slide into recession in the second half. Uh, we see also heightened risks of a US and global recession. I think even with the, the concerns about uh, global growth building, Inflation remains just as important, uh, getting inflation down from current persistently elevated levels is still certainly uh, at the forefront of central banks' minds as they move to hike rates further. So today, really, we really want to focus our attention back to inflation, and in particular, the regional divergences in inflation that we're uh, forecasting over the next six months or so. So with me to discuss this outlook in more detail are my colleagues, uh, Dan Silver from the U.S. economics team, Raphael Brunager from the Euro area team. Welcome, Dan. Welcome, Raphael. So let me start just some comments on the global uh, inflation picture right now uh, as part of the global inflation monitor that we uh, put out every month. What we can see through June is still very strong monthly CPI gains of 0.8%. Energy inflation in particular is still very strong. It's growing at a roughly 5% month-on-month pace uh, through June. So that's the second largest monthly gain we've seen historically. And food CPI gains are also still running uh, pretty strong at about 1% month on month. The good news is that oil and food commodity prices seem to have come off quite sharply in the past couple of months. And so if sustained, that will likely drive global inflation down quite sharply in the second half of the year. We are looking for it to come down to a 4 to 5% annualized pace in the second half from around 10% in the second quarter. So that's kind of a halving of the um, inflation uh, run rate there. You know, all the kind of supply side malaises of the past 18 months outside of natural gas seem to be turning for the better, some easing of supply chain related bottlenecks. Core inflation as well looks to uh, have started to moderate somewhat. So if we're right that inflation is now starting to come off sharply, then you know we should be getting some sort of boost to household purchasing power. So maybe that actually uh, helps us to avoid a near-term global recession in the end. Now, an important caveat to this benign story is that we don't think disinflation will be spread equally across regions. And In essence, our call is that uh, both U.S. and emerging markets will see uh, inflation gains moderating as we go through the second half, but your area inflation will stay high for long. Uh, So, Rafael, let me start with you, uh, as we already got the July uh, inflation numbers from the euro area, and I can see they surprised to the upside. So what do you make of the latest numbers? Uh, What's driving the, the surprise, and could this mark the beginning of the phase of inflation divergence that I, I alluded to? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right to, to point to the fact that we are at, at a sort of crossroad here. Um, the, the July print, according to, to the preliminary numbers, we're talking about a three-tenths increase in, in headline inflation uh, to 8.9%. I think what we um, should stress here is if we look at the month-on-month data, the ECB has now released um, its seasonally adjusted data. We're talking about 
um, an increase in terms of headline prices of 0.7% month on month, core were up 0.6% month on month. And if we put this into uh, the context of what we've seen in the first half of the year, we had very strong prints on average, the monthly gains um, in the first quarter. We, we had monthly gains coming down in the, in the second quarter, and it's basically coming back up. So what we see in terms of the data is strong pressure coming from food prices, uh, and um, we have lower pressure coming from energy prices at the moment, but what we expect going forward is that this pressure is going to be strong because we have something fairly unique if you have to compare to other countries, which is the gas supply issues, which um, is effectively putting a lot of pressure on gas prices. So where is that going to leave inflation in the second half of the year? Like what sort of inflation rates should we be seeing? When is the peak in your forecast? So just kind of focusing on the next six months, where, where do you yeah. have inflation? Going. Yeah, the peak hasn't really changed. It's still September, um, and and then we have a decline. But now the peak is higher. We're talking about a level which is nine four point five percent, so something that is really high. Mm -hmm. um, then we have inflation declining pretty forcefully in the quarters after that. Um, that's basically the impact of energy price inflation coming down. We also have core inflation and food price inflation uh, coming down. And effectively, what we think uh, is going to happen is that uh, inflation is going to get uh, closer towards the 2% the mark by, let's say, uh, the third quarter of next year. Okay, so coming down next year, but still pretty high in the second half. And as you said, sort of still kind of running around 9% uh, annualized rate. I mean, that sounds like it's going to be a lot higher than uh, what we're forecasting uh, elsewhere in the world. So, Dan, maybe we can come to you. Um, in recent months, what we've seen is that the, the kind of euro area flash inflation reports, they've sent an early signal of kind of broad-based upside surprises elsewhere. So uh, you seem to have a pretty bold call for the U.S. that this won't be the case this time around. Uh, what's dif what's different this time in your view um, on on the U.S. Yeah, so we're going to get the July numbers next week. So uh, we don't we don't know what's going to happen exactly, but I think we have a pretty good sense of what's going on with gasoline prices and energy prices. And in the U.S., we've seen gasoline regular retail prices peaked at around five dollars uh, per per gallon um, back in mid June, and they're now down to about four dollars and thirty cents per gallon uh, in the most recent days and weeks. Um, so pretty big decline in gasoline prices uh, that should provide a lot of relief in terms of headline inflation. So uh, headline inflation, headline CPI inflation over the past couple of months has been around 1%, even a little stronger than 1%. And with energy prices likely declining in July, um, we're probably going to see a much more modest gain, uh, probably two or three tenths in terms of the headline reading. And you probably will see some divergence there. So core inflation has been pretty strong. Uh, we think we're probably going to get another solid reading on core inflation uh, in the July print. It may be down a little bit from what we've seen, but still pretty strong. And food inflation also has been pretty strong and, and could continue to be uh, solid as we think about July and, and even beyond. But uh, certainly with, with energy prices and gasoline prices surging throughout most of the first half of the year and then coming down uh, you know, so far, we've seen July prices come down. We think futures markets are pointing to weakening uh, throughout most of the second half of the year in terms of energy prices. Uh, so that should be a pretty big shift in terms of headline inflation. Uh, so the gains uh, had been close to 10% on average through the first half of the year. Uh, we think the second half 
um, is going to be probably between three and four or three and a half and four percent in terms of headline inflation uh, for the second half of the year. So uh, still solid, still above target, but uh, but a pretty big step down. And a lot of that is um, an energy price story. And also we expect some moderation on core inflation as well. Hmm. Okay, so a pretty big difference um, compared to what Raphael has has outlined for the euro area for the second half. I mean, as far as the rest of the world is concerned, and I'll speak to emerging markets here, mainly um, the forecast for the second half we have is somewhat closer to the US in that we do see quite significant disinflation. So outside of China and Turkey, you know, we're looking for uh, inflation annualized run rates to come down to somewhere around 5% uh, in the second half from you know, double digit gains in the second quarter. I think in contrast to DM, where energy inflation has played a significant role in EM, it's really been food inflation that had driven inflation up quite sharply uh, through uh, March and, and April. So that really accounted for nearly half of the rise in EM headline inflation, given the 30% weight in um, consumer baskets. The good news really for EM is that agriculture commodity prices uh, have come down significantly over the past two months. You know, oil as well. So EM inflation should come off the boil on the back of that, assuming commodity prices stabilize at current levels. Uh, we are already seeing food inflation momentum waning in a number of countries. Core inflation as well seems to be moderating. So things are looking promising. Uh, one caveat I would mention is currency weakening in several EM countries versus the dollar. So that's dampening somewhat the moderation local uh, CPI gains that you would otherwise expect to get. All in all, we, we still have inflation peaking around September, momentum coming off, as I said. There will be a couple of countries and regions where inflation doesn't come off quite as sharply like Central Eastern Europe, where the story is quite similar to the euro area. We've had this surge in natural gas prices that has yet to fully filter through to the inflation data. And then also Latin America, we think core inflation could prove quite sticky. We've had uh, quite sizable fiscal stimulus in some countries. Growth has remained strong. But all in all, we should get a decent fall off in EM inflation uh, through the second half. Now, next, I want to come a little bit to the more medium term inflation outlook. And Raphael has already kind of alluded to that. So in the second half, I think we can agree that there's still a fair bit of noise in the data, right? We've got these energy shocks coming off in the US, but still there in, in the Eurozone. We've got still some pandemic related reopening dynamics going on, the supply bottlenecks and so on. So it's kind of important to consider where inflation will settle over the more medium term. I mean, certainly if inflation remains broad-based and persistent into next year, then you know, that might force central banks to keep hiking even as growth weakens. So both of you have recently written about interesting pieces about the breadth of inflation as, as an indicator of where inflation might settle. So if you could kind of just outline your view on where you see inflation settling next year and into 2024 and kind of how broad are the inflation pressures and what that means for the expected disinflation path. Dan, do you want to start off? Sure. So we, we've definitely seen breadth uh, across components uh, on the inflation indicators where we've seen strong uh, strong prints you know pretty much across the board food energy core goods core services and then also a lot of those subcomponents within the different core categories um, and I think as we as we think about the outlook 
Um, the, the good side, I think, is where we're expecting to see the most relief. And you mentioned supply chain issues, uh, pandemic-related issues. You know, we think a lot of the, the goods inflation is temporary or transitory in, in, to at least some degree. And we've been saying that for, for a while now, but it does feel like we're at least uh, settling into a more normal environment, you know, not getting the big swings related to the pandemic and different waves and different vaccine rollouts and things like that. So it does look like we're kind of headed to a more normal environment. Our auto analysts um, have been expecting auto prices to, to drop pretty noticeably over the coming months. And auto inflation has been a, a big part of the inflation we've seen over the past 18 months or so. So uh, the goods numbers we expect to be weak uh, going forward. And the services prices, I think we're a bit more mixed and, and a bit more uncertain, uh, where we, we do expect at least the near term, and let's say the near term is the next three to six months, to, to continue to be pretty solid on the services front. Uh, we've seen uh, rent indicators uh, look pretty strong, and the rent numbers tend to be sticky. Uh, so that, that firmness can persist. And we've also seen continued tightness on the labor market, continued wage pressure, uh, which should pass through more broadly into into consumer price inflation. Uh, that said, we have a forecast where job growth slows, the unemployment rate starts to move up, and wage growth or wage pressure eases. And if we're right on those calls, we likely will see at least some relief on the services side, and we're not expecting a very weak labor market and you know outright weakness in, in wages. But uh, relative to what we've seen over the past six months or so, I think we expect um, a move down on the services front as well. So when we think about 2023 as a whole, uh, you know, right now our forecast for core CPI is 2.9%, uh, which is you know a lot closer to target than it, than it has been. Um, we're looking for this year uh, for, for core to be up about 5%. Um, so you know a pretty big step down there. A lot of that relief is coming on the good side, um, but it's still you know above target, above that 2%. Uh, kind of goal that the Fed has, which is, I guess, you know, more explicitly for PC inflation, but should be roughly the same for CPI inflation. So uh, it's still kind of above where we want to be in the long term, but it is moving down, you know, a lot closer to that that target level. Um, and that's coming with, you know, relief on both the good side uh, and also a little bit of easing on the services side. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's also perhaps an interesting contrast to the euro area once again. Rafa, maybe you could talk us through that. I've read in your recent pieces, you've highlighted that the breadth of inflation in the euro area is actually somewhat lower. And it feels like you you feel like there's a better chance that inflation will moderate back to target next year relative to what Dan has outlined here. Can you talk us through what's behind that? Yeah, that's that's actually a very good point. Um, that that breadth issue that you mentioned, I mean, it, I, I'd make a distinction between core goods on one side and services on the other side, because we, we can see some breadth in, in the core goods data. Um, and uh, on the other hand, when we look at services, we can see that um, pandemic-related items, uh, the ones that have been impacted by the pandemic, effectively, we've seen a decline in the inflation rate, and now we can see a, a significant uh, increase, or we have seen a significant increase in recent months. But when we look at what effectively has not been in, that much impacted by the pandemic, it's something that has been uh, increasing, but in a way that is much more muted and is effectively close to 2%, not too far from 2%. So all of this is basically pointing to, and I'm not repeat, going to repeat what Dan said earlier, but we, we have the supply constraint. But at some point, when you have shocks basically dissipating, 
um, we we think we should get back towards the two percent objective mm. that the setback has. Uh, importantly, as well, in terms of the forecast that we have, we should bear in mind that we do expect a contraction in activity uh, in terms of GDP in the fourth quarter and the first quarter. So that's also um, a, a factor that, that is, is inflationary over the medium term. Yeah. Um, it does contribute to the fact that inflation is coming down, that core inflation is coming down. Uh, we do have an output gap that is um, negative at the end of the forecast horizon. So this is uh, basically a whole bunch of factors that overall make us think that we should have inflation get back towards the, the 2% objective. Yeah, absolutely. And um, is it fair to say that wage inflation is also less of a, a concern for kind of shaping the outlook, as in less pressure than in the US? Is that? Yeah, it's it's lower for sure. Uh, it has increased, uh, which is something that um, um, in a way was a, a bit stronger than what we expected. But we're not talking about numbers that mm -hmm. are... Uh, very significant or numbers that would sort of create an issue um, over the medium term. There are talks, if you look at the the, um, the talks on a day-to-day -day basis, what you hear in news, or obviously companies uh, sometimes are pushed to increase wages by governments because of purchasing power issues, um, that you have also some claims on, on, on the workers' side for, for higher wages. But uh, the models that we have are pointing to which weight both around four yeah. percent um at some point later in the year so not something that is dramatically high and and not something that would we think would mean that um underlying inflation would stay at a very strong level going forward yeah so that's a really interesting contrast so you know second half of this year euro area inflation higher than the us and 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 clearly facing those uh, upward pressures from natural gas prices U.S. inflation comes down largely driven by uh, gasoline and, and energy. But then when we kind of look at the more medium term outlook, it's actually the euro area, which seems to have a more benign uh, outlook where inflation has a better chance of moderating perhaps back to central bank targets vis-a-vis uh, -vis the U.S. where things could stay slightly on the, on the higher end of the, of the target range. Uh, so I think that takes us uh, quite neatly into a question on what this all means for central banks. So this kind of medium term landing point you outlined for inflation, what does it mean? Like how restrictive do central banks need to get here? Just briefly, Dan, if you want to start. Sure. So I think our forecast is broadly consistent with the Fed's goal of achieving a soft landing where we have growth slow, we have uh, inflation slow, we have the labor market soften, but not, you know, move into a very bad state. We have a drift up in the unemployment rate. And, you know, that's achieved at least in our view where uh, the Fed doesn't need to be extremely restrictive. They're close to neutral right now. We expect about a, a percentage point or hundred basis points more of tightening uh, over the second or the remainder of this year. Uh, but we don't think they need to do much more than that. And we're already seeing a lot of signs that growth is cooling. We're already seeing signs that the labor market is softening, but while we're talking about recession risks and we're noting that recession risks are not low, you know, our base case is not for a recession. So I think that, uh, you know, if all this plays out, the Fed can kind of do what we expect and what the Fed expects where, you know, they can hike somewhat more and then they'll get that easing in inflation. And, and I do think, you know, an important point to note here is that a lot of the relief we expect is on the good side and that may not be directly related to, to Fed tightening. So, 
you know, if we get supply chain normalization, we get auto prices, which had been surging, probably not because of what the Fed did, but because of pandemic related issues and supply chain issues, if we get auto prices to come down, you know, that's not really a result or direct result of Fed tightening, but that is something that's going to help the, the Fed in terms of achieving their goals. So I think that's really a, a key factor to watch as we think about the next few months and how the, the inflation prints um, end up and then how the Fed is going to respond to that. So if we, if we do get that relief on the good side, uh, we do continue to see this kind of broader moderation in terms of growth numbers, in terms of labor market data, then I think the Fed is kind of on track to more or less do what it's saying it's going to do and do what we expect it's going to do, which is going to be to keep tightening from here, but not tighten um, in an extreme way. And probably, you know, around the end of this year, uh, feel like they can go on hold and, and let the inflation process and the growth process play out. Okay. And Raphael, how about for the ECB? It feels like there's probably less pressure to go restrictive, right? Well, yeah. I mean, th there is obviously these very high inflation prints, and, and we think this is a compelling case for, for the ECB to, to continue in terms of the normalization uh, going forward. But as I've mentioned up front, at some point, uh, we think we're going to have a recession. So uh, there's a question of timing here. Um, the ECB has started in, in, in July to, to hike its policy rate. We think in September, there's a strong case for continuing on a pace that is 50 basis points. Now we've seen the activity data um, starting to go down. I'm thinking in terms of the PMIs, um, consumer confidence is, is extremely low. We can see the impacts in terms of uh, retail sales, which have been trending down. So there are there are some data, some, some monthly activity data up pointing to, to, to some issues potentially going forward, um, at least in the third quarter, but even more going forward as we have gas prices uh, very high at the moment. So uh, we think beyond September, the ECB is going to see the data uh, in terms of activity um, and, and triggering some concern. And effectively what we have in, in the forecast that, that, that we have for the ECB is, is a long pause so the ECB does 50 basis points in September and then effectively doesn't do anything uh, for uh, the next few quarters. So we have the recession and, and we have to wait for the rebound in terms of activity uh, before the ECB starts to reconsider to have some hikes in the forecast. So um, beyond September, where we have 50 basis points, then uh, we need to wait up until the second half of next year when we have 25 basis points of hike in the third quarter and then another one uh, 25 basis point of hike in the fourth quarter. Gotcha. Yeah, so for emerging markets, the, the near-term pressure is still for further hikes uh, as, uh, you know, until, until they actually see inflation moving um, clearly lower, decisively lower here. I think the pressure will be on. They're also going to be taking their cue from, from the Fed. So certainly we would need to see the Fed downshifting the pace of tightening, I think, for most EM central banks to feel comfortable to do the same thing. They're keeping an eye on financial stability risks. Quite a few EM countries have seen worsening fiscal current account deficits. Um, their policy credibility in some cases has been damaged by very high inflation. So... Generally, the picture is one of further hikes. There's going to be some divergence within EM. I think the central banks that have hiked aggressively, like Central Eastern Europe, Brazil, uh, could reach the end of their hiking cycle soon and begin cutting rates at some point early next year as their economies slow sharply and they uh, slide into recession. But with many other EMs where kind of growth is still pretty strong, they're still trying to catch up with rising inflation expectations. 
uh, we think they'll keep hiking into, into 2023. All right, so just a final, very brief question, kind of a yes, no answer. Where do you see the risks to your baseline inflation view over the next three to six months, up or down or balanced? I'll start for me in terms of the EU area, it's up. I mean, if, if the horizon is the next few months, we basically have a forecast that assumes that gas prices in Europe uh, are going to average 150 uh, for the coming month. And uh, we've seen gas supply coming down from Russia and effectively uh, gas is trading closer to 200 at the moment. So it's hard to say where this will settle. But if uh, we're talking about a 200 price tag for the next few months, that basically could increase inflation by a decent amount in the coming month. How about you, Dan? So I'll give a two-sided economist answer, and I'll say if uh, we're thinking about the next few months, I would say upside risk um, in that you know our call for goods inflation, core goods inflation to come down is really a call that we haven't seen realized so far, and the data have persistently surprised the upside. So you know I feel pretty confident that at some point goods inflation is going to come down, but I don't feel totally confident in exactly when that's going to happen. But the, the one caveat I'll give is that, you know, Raphael mentioned before the, the recession call. And you know, if we do enter recession in the U.S., which we're not saying is impossible and we think there's a decent chance it could happen, you know, recessions are pretty effective in bringing inflation down. So if we do enter a recession, you know, I think the risks are clearly to the downside on inflation. But if we manage to avoid the recession, I would, I would take the upside over the next few months. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm in alignment with that also for emerging markets. So probably the near-term outlook carries some upside risks. Well, that's all been very, very uh, fascinating and we'll be keenly awaiting the US uh, CPI data next week and data for EM as well to kind of gauge and, and kind of track our, our forecast for this divergence in uh, inflation outlooks between uh, the US and your area in coming months. This concludes our podcast for today. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Raphael, for joining me. Thank you to our listeners for following the Global Data Pod. And we look forward to continuing the conversation in the next episode. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on August 3rd, 2022.